This is Maddie Rempe from Cleveland, Ohio, and you're listening to Barbecue Central. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me. Fine. How is long? <laughs> You have a great show. I'm a big fan. Boing. So what? What? What seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? We ate two feet before we nursed. Oh, listen, Liberty, it's a shit feast. Yeah, I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. All right, just like that, we are into the second hour, I guess. I think we got it worked out. This is why I tell you guys, you have to tune into the show live at least once in your life because the people that are in podcast are going to hear this part, but they will have been alleviated the last 15 minutes. But too bad, you could have been around for it, but you weren't. Anyway, a cleaner listening experience for you podcasters, undoubtedly, but we race to the hotline and welcome in the other third Tuesday of the month regular guest, Robin Lindars. Hey, Robin. Hi, yay! We got it it working. We got it working. All right. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but I think when Stephen Reichlin went out of his way to say what a professional outfit I was, that was the proverbial kiss of death. Everything went downhill from there. All those positive vibes on on the radio internet waves just like shut everything down. It was like the electrical charge from all of that great energy just like short-circuited the connection. Yeah, sucked the life right out of the show. And now we're having to, it's like we're getting CPR here right on the street after having too much fun at the bar early in the morning. Here we go. Uh, we got Robin from grillgirl.com, and we continue the month of origin stories as it uh, has now become to be known. We started with Malcolm Reed and Sam the Cooking Guy. We had Meathead last weekend, and last hour we had Stephen Reichlin. And now the story of Robin Lindars. So let's back all right. it all the way up. When and where were you born? Oh, this is a fun one, Greg. You might not be able to guess this, but I was actually born in the same town as Elvis, uh, which is, is Tupelo, Mississippi. Tupelo, Mississippi, really? Oh, wait. Yeah. All right. I guess the I didn't know. Yeah. I figured yeah. it was like uh, the 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 Hollywood Valley or something like that. <laughs> You know, I um, I'm like a southern mutt. That's how I describe myself. But really, I'm a Floridian because that's like my spirit animal state. But I was born in Mississippi, believe it or not. All right. So Mississippi born uh, mother and father. Uh, you Are you from a whole household or did you, did you uh, become a broken household at any point? Uh, my parents are still together, nice. believe it or not. All right. You know, that's, yeah. that's the one thing, you know, that I, it's been a, a a weird question to ask. But what I have come to find out, and it could just be luck of the draw of, of who I have been talking to. But I would say, uh, I don't know how old Derek is, 
And I think one of my embedded correspondents is uh, sizably younger than everybody else. But outside of that, I would say most of us were in the same age range. Uh, Malcolm Reed and you and I are probably closest in age. And then, you know, Stephen yeah. and Meathead, uh, well, I think Meathead might be the senior member of the group here. But uh, what I've noticed is people that are around our age or older had parents that stayed together. And as I had done my due diligence and in digging into that childhood relationship, uh, they seemed at least to be cohesive at a minimum and uh, also uh, highly functioning in love and all of this other stuff on uh, on the high level. So uh, everybody seems to have a pretty decent background and you seem to be a party to that as well. Uh, other siblings in the house, Rob? No, believe it or not, I am an only child. They just broke the mold with me. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. How do yeah. you how do you classify your relationship with your parents back then before getting into school and all that stuff? Like before college and things like that. Yes. Um, yeah. Just in general, as a kid. You know, as a kid, uh, being an only child, I think you know I, I love my parents. I think I did always resent them a little bit because I felt. Uh, how do I say this? My parents are awesome. We moved around a lot growing up and I think I always resented them because I've, I, things were, I was just always moving all the time. You know what I mean? So there was a little bit of like, can we have a little more stability, mm. you know? But, um, but other than that, I mean, my parents are pretty, you know, we're very, very average middle class, you know, grew up in the South. Um, both parents worked, I was kind of a latchkey kid because my, you know, both of my parents were working. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd say pretty, pretty average, if if you will. You know, I, I grew up eating bojangles and going to church on Sundays, and uh, but you know, I have a lot of crazy family that always provides for great stories at parties and things like that. Like, you know, you could just be like talking, and then you might just throw out a crazy story about that time Uncle Rick got you know, uh, hauled off by the FBI or whatever it was. <laughs> like, nice. <you> know? <laughs> now, because of that instability, were you uh, rebellious at all or you were just secretly wishing that you could have planted some more roots, at, you know, at this place you really liked and you wish you could have hang out with, you know, Susie and, and Tim and Johnny a little bit longer before you had to move on to the next place? I think a little bit of both, a little bit of both. But, you know, one thing that really I think came out of, the way I grew up is that I'm extremely outspoken and also very independent. Um, so it really taught me, you know, just to kind of, I think to hustle, but also just to kind of think on my feet, like, you know, me, I'm extremely outgoing. I think had I not lived in a different city every year and also been an only child, um, you know, where I, maybe if I'd had siblings to hang out with, um, I might not be as extroverted as I am right now, which I think has actually helped me to sh mold me into the person that I am because I think it makes me very um, adept at at adjusting and persevering, if you will. So um, and just kind of pushing through to to the next thing, the next level. So I think you know everything in your your experience growing up is is formative and who you are, and, and you make you make of it what it is. You know, what's with the moving around? Was it for jobs or or I mean, did you have to flee town or what gives? 
Uh, no, well, my dad was in commercial construction. So, you know, when you're in, when you're in that, uh, that environment, you just, you build out these big jobs. And after a couple of years, um, you know, you just go on to the next, the next job. And, you know, the more, the more I get to know my dad, sometimes I think that also he might've encouraged the, um, I think he might've also had, I think he has a hot temper and would also sometimes be like, screw you. I quit. And then we would end up moving again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he was like, screw these people. And then he quit his job and then be looking for another one, you know? So um, I think it was like maybe a little bit of both, but, but you know, when I, but so I think that kind of made me a very, um, it just made me, I think a little bit more well-rounded if you will. Cause I've just, you know, by the time I was in high school, I'd probably lived in like, you know, five or six different states and had just like, you know, experienced a decent amount by then or just seen more things than probably the average person. Um, When you are getting into school, um, not necessarily like elementary, but into like the middle school, I don't know if that's what it was called, wherever you were, but we had like, you know, sixth through eighth grade was middle and then high school, nine through 12, obviously. So when you get into those years, what kind of a student are you? Does it come pretty easy from an academic standpoint? And then uh, what were you into involved uh, with school extracurricular activity? Yeah, that's a funny question. I didn't know what you were going to ask. So let's see. I played soccer, but I was never good. I was always a shitty soccer player. I think they used to call me squirrel because I ran around the the field like like a squirrel. (laughs) But I had fun. Um, you know, I was always into drama and English and languages. And I think back in the day, I wanted to be a comedian when I grew up. I don't know what happened, but like my goal was to be on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> so like a um, like a sketch comedian or a stand up comedian? It's like a sketch comedian, just just being che- like a cheese ball. <laughs> and um, but yeah, you know, I, I make a great. I always worked like five jobs like. What was that movie where they were like, you look at Jamaica and you got five jobs. I always had like a million jobs and was like a president of a million clubs and kind of like how I am now, like where I just run around like a chicken with their head cut off. Like I, you know, I've just always had a bunch of jobs and was into a lot of stuff and I made pretty good grades, but I wasn't studying all the time. I think I was really more focused on working and making money because I just wanted to make money and have my own independence. And, you know, my parents didn't like, we were pretty middle-class, but it's like, you know, I always worked. So I always had money if I wanted to buy something. Cause I would, I would like wait tables at Chili's on the weekends, (laughs) you know? And um, yeah. So that's me. All right. uh, So that brings us to the first break. We're going to come back. We'll have a couple of these here through the hour. Once we get through the first hour, assuming we're still plowing through all of this. Uh, We won't be uh, relegated to any breaks or anything, but let me uh, do this here real quick, and we'll be right back with Robin from GrillGirl.com as we get her origin story. This portion brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, always believing that outdoor cooking can be easy and fun because they offer you some great products. They offer you two different kinds of cookers. How about the Monolith, which is a ceramic cooker with a built-in power draft fan? So if you have a Guru controller, you can hook that right up to the Monolith's Already built in power draft fan, and away you go. They also offer a cabinet style, fully insulated cooker called the Shotgun. Uh, both accommodate a decent amount of food. Both work with all of the Barbecue Guru temperature control devices. They also offer a bunch of different accessories. 
The newest ones to the bunch are the Nano Q and the Dyna Q. So depending on what kind of tech option you're looking for, you might want to explore those. Made for the bullet styles, the kettles, ceramics, some of the bigger offsets. Just give them a call, ask them the questions. They'll make sure that you have the right gear to be successful as you get going. And then you can get sauces and rubs from the Having a Barbecue line that Barbecue Bob is also continuing to put out. Longest running sponsor of the show. You got to check them out. Don't buy any other automatic temperature control device. These are the guys that started it all. BBQGuru.com, the website. And you can also call them 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. The Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. And we are back with more Robin Lindars right after this. Stick around. Monthly visits from a killer hog, a cooking guy, a man named Meathead, the author of Barbecue Bible, a grill girl, a bristly barbecue journalist, and the male feasance of the barbecue world known as the Embedded Correspondence. Only found right here on the Barbecue Central Show. And this portion brought to you by Pit Barrel Cooker, the most unbelievable outdoor cooking appliance that is currently available two different sizes to choose from a host of accessories to complete your pit barrel experience and bigger ones on the horizon go to pitbarrelcooker.com and tell them the barbecue central show sent you and we're back with robin all right robin so i mean what jobs are you holding through high school you said you were a worker and you were uh, obviously a chili's but anything else that you were holding down through those years um, let's see. I worked at Chili's. I worked at American Eagle back in the day and it was cool. Yeah. But, uh, I hosted at a couple of restaurants, but usually it was waiting tables. That was the, the one where you can make the money. And, um, then I think I was like editor of the yearbook. That was like my, I was a co-editor of the yearbook, but my real thing was I was, um, co-editor of the newspaper at the time. That was kind of like my, my thing I was into. Were they paying you for that or was that school related? Well, that was school related, but yeah. that was like my my writing stuff. I like paid. I was waiting tables on the weekends. Do, do you feel that working in the service industry paid dividends later dealing with the public, having people screaming and yelling at you and blaming you for stuff that uh, perhaps you had nothing to do with? And also <laughs> knowing that if you were performing well, that you could see a sizable tip uh, in regards to your performance. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just loved working in the restaurant industry. I just found it really interesting. Maybe I've just always liked food. I like people. Um, and I also just liked making money. And I found like you can make a lot more money working in a restaurant or bartending than you could, you know, working at a retail store or something like that. So, so yeah, I mean, I always enjoyed it. And then also like as I like progressed in college and worked in different restaurants, I would get inspiration from the places I waited tables. You know, um, I would, uh, believe it or not, I have this recipe on my website. It's like a portobello pizza. And the, the idea I got for that was like uh, the portobello pizza or the portobello app. They have at Mellow Mushroom where I used to wait tables <laughs> in college. Um, it was like one of my favorite things. And it's like, you know, now it's keto friendly and uh, yeah, you know, it's like all your your life experiences culminate in these different ways. 
So, um, yeah, it's, it's funny how that all of that happens. I, you know, I remember in college, I really went through this phase of like, you know, I always like to cook, but then, um, just like all about making hot sauces and salad dressings and just like really getting into like little things and gifting everyone hot sauces for Christmas or baking my, my professor's cookies. It was just like my, what I started to really enjoy, you know, and it's like little things you see have, you know, they're just little, just how you progress, I guess, as a person and things you like. Um, and it's funny because with Stephen Reichlin on the show, it's just so interesting to me to see how, how funny life is because he was like really my first experience with grilling and I gifted my dad his cookbook when I was in college. And that was my dad's real experience with like true grilling, you know, was, was Stephen Reichlin's cookbook. Huh. So it's like, wow, full circle to be on the show after him because he is truly inspired myself and my dad and I'm sure countless others in their grilling journey. Robin, people think that kids from the South have a advantage when it comes to the culinary wild. So as you look back, I'm interested to know what kind of a food scene that you're exposed to growing up. Are there a lot of secret family recipes uh, or perhaps because you're moving around a lot, there aren't a lot of other extended family get togethers where a grandmother or an aunt or uncle might teach you whatever the secret family recipe of the day is. What were you exposed to? Yeah, these are, this is a good question. You know, it's funny. I always talk about uh, grow, being a Southerner and growing up in the South as really being culminative in just like my love for food. But I, you know, I think you have to also look back and, you know, gosh, let me just share it all with you guys. Like I'm 42. So when I was younger, like it was not, it was not like a sexy thing to be, um, you know, Southern food was not sexy like it is now. Um, you know, like now you see restaurants like Pies and Thighs in Brooklyn and they're doing like fried chicken and biscuits and blah, 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 blah. But it's like trendy. But like when you grow up in it, I think everyone casts you as like, oh, that's redneck or you know what I mean? Like I, I feel like growing up Southern, you also get a lot of stereotypes from people. Um, and so it's only like I'd say the last like maybe 10, 15 years at like being Southern is, or Southern food is so trendy. You know, now you can go to like a restaurant in way out of the South and they'll have shrimp and grits on the menu. And like shrimp and grits is, is very much like hardcore Southern, like um, low country, true shrimp and grits is like low country style, like South Carolina, low country. And um, it's just, it's funny to me how trendy it has become because Growing up, I, it's almost like certain things. You, I think when you get outside of the South, you'd be like, oh, like people would be like, what is that? Like pimento cheese. And eh, that's just like, <laughs> you know, pimento is mixed with mayo and cheese, which basically that is what it is. But it's fucking delicious, mm. you know. Um, and so it's it's almost like there's this appreciation you you get um, knowing like, hey, that's that's me. But it wasn't sexy at the time when I was living it, you know, but. Um, yeah, absolutely. Grew up. Like my earliest food memory is my grandma making uh, fried okra in like a cast iron skillet, and in that you know, and God, so it's just so good. I love fried vegetables. It's like let's take something healthy and make it unhealthy, <laughs> you know. Um, so, and she would also make drop biscuits every day. Like biscuits are just like a thing. And then, um, you know. I was born in Tupelo, but I lived in Jackson, Mississippi, like till I was probably like five or six after I had lived in Texas. So I went like I was born in um, 
Tupelo. And then I think my parents moved somewhere else, like in Alabama or somewhere briefly. And then I lived in Texas, like from what I can like really remember. So I was like five. So my, like a lot of my first memories are also like Tex-Mex food. And, mm. um, cause I was in San Antonio. So I, it's like all my culinary, oh, like kind of cool. All my first food memories are like Texas, Mississippi, and then North Carolina are <laughs> like where it were really like my kind of main states I grew up in uh, before I ended up in Florida. So um, actually, and I left out of state, Georgia was like most of my 20s. So anyway, and yes, Southern food is like a part of my soul. And I love things like collard greens and chow chow on collard greens. And I love Texas Pete, which is tech, which is actually not from Texas. It's actually in Winston Salem. And I love Krispy Kreme donuts even because people don't realize they're from North Carolina before they got like really big. And um, when I was the, the newspaper editor back in the day in high school, I got to interview like the CEO back in the day. Cause I guess back then, even then I was like into food. So, hmm. um, but yeah, those are some of my, my food memories. I think that's sort of been a part of my, my food journey is kind of embracing my Southern roots. But what's also kind of juxtaposition juxtaposition in that is that I also grew up in the nineties and the two thousands, which was like the low fat era. And my dad was usually working, you know? So it was like this weird thing where my mom was like, or, you know, you're like, fat is bad, fat, bad, you know, so everyone's like, here, carbs are okay, as long as they have no fat. And you just have this, like, kind of the fucked up food issues, because you're not sure what you're supposed to eat, because everything was so wrong, that, you know, in so many ways, like the way they were positioning things. So, you know, it takes a while to kind of figure out what what you like and what works. And um, yeah, you know, so anyway, I had the whole Southern thing and then I had my mom, you know, the, the low fat era and growing up as a teenager, I was always on a diet because my mom was always on a diet. And that's just like what you do as a girl. You just have issues with food <laughs> and, you know, that's just part of the, it's just part of the whole package. But as you guys have probably seen, I've always been really into nutrition and like eating healthy. And that's like always been a side of my blog that people may or may not know about. When you get through high school, do you immediately think about enrolling into college? Do you take some time in between to figure out what you might want to actually study? We have talked about uh, during this time of, you know, the, my the, the generation that precedes me, or let's say my parents, uh, you know, they felt that it was very necessary for kids to go out of high school and then right into college because that was that next step that you should take. Because I think there were a lot of kids when they were growing up that either just went out and got jobs or went into trades, perhaps went into the service, something along these lines. And the way for them to make it better or, or the next generation better is to send those kids to college. So it was uh, quite a, a wait to, to go on to, to do that. What we've come to find out now through my generation is uh, I think, uh, A, it certainly paid dividends and jobs that I was applying to back in 97 and 98, all said college degree required or at least strongly preferred. Uh, otherwise, you weren't going to be considered for candidacy. Uh, but I also know, specifically for me, I don't need to go to college to do what I'm doing today. And school wow. is certainly much more expensive than it was when I graduated from Ohio University in 97. So I always make the argument, if you don't know what you want to do, like and it's like being a doctor or maybe a microbiologist or some kind of science 
you might want to get some life experience before you go into something that costs so much so you can really apply yourself instead of trying to just figure out what you want to do during those four years because you can build up quite a debt and still not have anything to show for it. So how did you navigate those waters? Yeah, those are all good questions, Greg. Um, you know, I think for me, uh, I definitely wanted to go to college. I don't know if my parents pushed me as much as I pushed myself, mainly because, um, you know, I think where I felt like, well, as we know, you really have to go to college, at least in, in our time, like to get those certain jobs. Like for my parents, they could graduate high school and it was it was fine. Um, but, but also for me, you know, I was, I believe on my dad's side, the first person to graduate college. So to me, it was like a big deal. Like I want to go to college. I want to, um, like increase my opportunities for myself. And if anything, I felt like I pushed myself harder than they pushed me. Like when I went to school, when I decided when I, when it was like time to enroll for college, it was almost like, it was almost like an afterthought for them. Like they hadn't, they hadn't thought about, Oh, maybe we should save for college or, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like sometimes like even now, and I don't, I hope my dad and parents don't listen to this, but sometimes I feel like more like uh, the, the parent in our relationship, like the more responsible one. Um, So, uh, so, but I was just, I wanted to go to college. I wanted to get away from my parents. I wanted to just take it to the next level. And, um, you know, I had kind of honed in. I was really into writing and nutrition. And so I, I got a, some writing scholarships where like, a couple of places I went to school. So that was kind of like, all right, I'm going there because they're giving me money. Um, but, you know, I'd say these days for most people, if you don't know what you're going to what you want to do, don't rack up debt that you're not sure of how you're going to repay it or have a way to repay it yeah. until you kind of know what you want to do, especially it seems like things are getting so much more expensive. I mean, I went to a state school. Um, but you know, unless you have rich parents and money's no object, you, you kind of need to have a plan, I feel like, (laughs) and, uh, you know, you just got to be smart about these things, you know, and if you're not sure yet, maybe, maybe you do take a little time just to figure out what that is. I mean, God, look, some of the most, uh, successful people out there never really finished college. So I, you know, I always tell, um, you know, when I, when I talk to people, I, I say, you know, I guess, I think the fastest way to wealth is starting your own business or working in finance, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, I, for, for Hunter, I hope he, he is an entrepreneur and can learn to, to think on his feet. I know for myself, like I've always been really one-sided about what I'm good at. I'm really good on the creative side, but I can be really shitty on the business maintenance aspect of things. So, you know, um, I think that's held me back as an entrepreneur. And I'm hoping like for Hunter um, that, you know, if he doesn't, I would want him to go to college, but you know, if he was like, I'm going to start my own business, I'd be like, hell yeah, if that's your path, then go for it. If you want to make it happen, go for it. I think um, college these days isn't the end all be all if, if you're not sure what you want to be and, and you're just going to rack up debt as sure as heck, especially if it's going to be for something like let's major in like art history where there's no path to an actual career unless, unless you're going to be like a professor, but you know what I mean? Like yep. you've got to, you got to have a plan. Where did <laughs> and you, like you uh, said, you work in sales and make great money and yep. not need a college degree, you right. know? Um, so there's that. Where did you go to school? I went to Appalachian state in Boone, North Carolina. Yeah, happy state. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and are, Most are people you, only know that Michigan that one year in, in football and people were yes. like, holy shit. 
Yeah. Who are who are these? Who are who is the school and where did they come from? Uh, what are you majoring in? Did you know right off the bat? I knew I either wanted to major in uh, nutrition or journalism, and I looked really hard at nutrition, but I saw all the organic chemistry you had to take, and I couldn't even pass like like basic chemistry. So I figured that was like not the path for me. So I majored in journalism instead. But it was more like the hippie version of journalism. Like I actually self-designed my major through the interdisciplinary studies department because I wanted to be like a freelance writer you know, maybe a travel writer, like I'm a minor in Spanish. So it was kind of like the roundabout way of doing it. The out of the more out of the box Robin way of doing it. Did you get a lot out of attending college aside from the degree? Did you have a lot of experience that you felt shaped you? I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. Um, I got really involved in the community, which I think was part of what was like a really fun learning experience. I, um, I was even writing for the local paper. I had actually had my own food and restaurant column and I called it food for thought, which was really fun. And I would um, review restaurants and, and update, you know, food news. And cause I was also waiting tables and bartending around town and yada, yada, yada. And, um, and then I remember I had one article I was especially proud of. And I wrote about the regional styles of North Carolina and South Carolina and like really just kind of the South um, barbecue. So, so yeah, I had fun. I had a good time. It was, it was, I think it was a great experience to get under your belt. And I would, you know, I would encourage anyone to, you know, to do it if it's, if it's the right time for them, for Uh, sure. It's funny how we continue to connect these circles back from Stephen being on in the first hour, you coming into the second, you had mentioned that you had bought his barbecue Bible and given it to your dad, uh, and started that way from an introductory to real grilling. Well, Stephen had graduated from college. I mean, certainly he was quite the academic uh, number of scholarships and grants and all this other stuff that we had talked about in the first hour. But his first job out of uh, college was writing uh, restaurant reviews for a a paper up in Boston or something like that. Uh, So, you know, uh, but uh, freelance, uh, he only wanted to to be freelance um, like yourself and doing restaurant reviews like yourself. So there's a lot of connecting things as um, I'm starting to reflect back on a lot of these interviews that we've done here over the course of the month. Uh, as you uh, get out of college, um, what are the first few jobs that you're able to attain? Are they still within journalism or do you immediately start to switch gears because you just want to get a job? Yeah, that's exactly it, Greg. So for a, like a little bit, I was trying to figure out what to do after school and I was trying to find a job and uh, had a writing degree and um I did like the four and a half year plan because I was designing my major and I was just like, I just was like learning so much and just having fun. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, the long end of the short, the, so nine 11 happened like my last year of college mm-hmm. and, um, cause I graduated in, in 2001 and it was kind of like the shit just kind of, as we know, hit the fan because um, things were weird and I was just having a hard time finding people hiring and or like for, for writing and journalism and stuff like that. And, and also I was living, like my parents were from Charlotte. So that's where I, I lived in Charlotte for mo- like most of high school. And my parents had been really surprisingly, like they stayed there for a while, like 
um, after our, our bout of moving around a lot. <laughs> and um, Charlotte's not a like a creative town. It's a banking town. So, you know, that wasn't really the right place to look anyway. And so I ended up getting a job out of college in Atlanta. And so I moved to Atlanta and I got a job working for these ladies. Uh, well, so anyway, I should back up and say I had the journalism degree, but I was looking for anything like remotely related. So I got a job working for what I called the two crazy bitches for this publishing company. <laughs> called. Uh, they were so crazy. They were the two crazy bitches. They were both, I think, going through menopause at the same time. And they ran this office and they ran the Atlanta apartment book. And I was the production coordinator. So I was in advertising and that was like my first real job out of college. And I was like, after six months, I was like, holy shit, if this is what like the real world is all about, then what have I gotten myself into? Um, but right after that, cause I really, these ladies were just so nuts. Like I was like, please don't let this be the real world, you know? Cause I'd really only worked like I had my column, but I'd mainly worked in the restaurant business. Um, and so, yeah. So then I ended up getting a job because Home Depot's corporate office was in Atlanta. I ended up getting a job as a production coordinator at Home Depot's, um, like basically their in-house advertising department. Mm -hmm. And I worked there for a while and learned a lot. And then eventually I decided I didn't want to. And then I was like, what do I want to do with my career? I got like half an MBA that I didn't finish because it was one of those private schools like University of Phoenix and racked up a ton of debt. And then I decided I didn't really want to like be stuck in an office all day anyway. And then I got my real estate license and got into sales for a while. And then I decided, you know, I like sales, but I'd really like a job where I have like a base salary and like health insurance. And so then I moved into sales where I was selling like marketing related services. And around that time, I'm fast forwarding, but, um, uh, in my mid twenties, I got married. Wait, and now I got hold on, wait, wait, wait! Don't just stop. I'll guide how quickly we're going down the road here. So, so you end up having a, a number of uh, sales related jobs uh, as you get out of college, and you know, early to to mid twenties. Safe to say. Yep. All right. Yes. Uh, Advertising. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's take a break, and then. You will regale us with a love story when we come back from the break. All right. So uh, we're talking with Robin from grillgirl.com. So stay tuned as we learn more about her. And I think this is yeah, this is the last big read for the hour. Uh, big Pop Smokers, of course, the one-stop online shop for all things barbecue-related a curated selection of only the best outdoor cooking and grilling supplies will get you on the path to better barbecue results in no time. They have 13 perfectly balanced flavors of rubs, great flavors like Sweet Money, Cattle Prod, Cash Cow, Double Secret Steak, Regular Money, Happy Ending Rub, just to name a few. They also own Granny's Barbecue Sauce, so if you're looking for a great New go-to barbecue sauce that's a little bit different from everything else that's out there. Granny's traditional yet powerful flavor reminds us why we fell in love with barbecue in the first place. They also sell grills, which we know if you want a versatile smoker that's easy to use, you check out that Mac 2-Star General Pellet Grill that has been refreshed here recently. Big Papa's the exclusive Mac dealer and even offering special packages online. Nobody else does that if you're not a fan of pellet cookers. 
no problem. You can take a look at the Old Hickory Ace BP. It's the only charcoal smoker that Big Papa trusts on his competition trailer. And if you're a backyard barbecue enthusiast, check out the M Grill. That's also available at BigPapaSmokers.com. If you have any questions, give them a call at 877-828-0727. That's 877-828-0727. Or shop their website at BigPapaSmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A Smokers. Dot com. We're back with Robin Lindars right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the number one most downloaded barbecue and grilling podcast anywhere. The Barbecue Central Show. Celebrating over 10 years of prolific and unparalleled live fire barbecue and grilling talk. And yes, it's still being done from Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. And welcome back. This portion brought to you by Smithfield. We love Smithfield with folks like Chris Lilly and Darren Worth, Ernest Cervantes, Charles Cridlin, all giving you tips here through the grilling season. Go to smithfield.com. It's really some of the best pork that money can buy. So if you have an outlet, it was earlier to, uh, harder to find earlier in the year, but now rolling out, check them out, smithfield.com. All right, Robin, we are back. So uh, we talked about the sales jobs, getting out of college uh, in some form or fashion. Uh, also, you promised before we left to tell us a love story this evening. Uh, you're married to uh, a guy who I referred to as uh, the man's man, uh, Scott Lindarf. Uh, but talk about uh, how you met and uh, how that love story progresses to where you guys get married. All right. Well, that's a good one. Um, so Scott and I actually knew each other from mutual friends. My uh, best friend from Atlanta, who I also went to school with at Appalachian State, he was like in her circle of friends, but not mine for some reason. Well, he, I met him randomly in like a group and long story short, he was kind of like the people I didn't know and the blah, blah, blah. And then, um, so long, I, in my mid twenties, I had had a, I like to call it a trial marriage. I married a guy and it didn't work out. We were married for like a year. Really? And, um, <laughs> so what is that, like, uh, what is that all about? Like, how do you, did you, did you think it was forever or were you just like, eh, I kind of like, um, eh, fuck it. We'll get married and give it a shot. Like, how do you go into that? Well, I think, you know, I think at the time being in Atlanta and a lot of my friends were very, at the, there were, it's, it's kind of a more traditional place. And so they were all getting married to the guys they dated in college and the blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I was going to weddings every weekend. And I think, you know, the guy I'd been dating, we probably should have gotten uh, not married and just broken up instead of getting married. And then, you know, I think once we got married and I realized that he was incapable of doing things like mowing the grass and just stuff like that and that's just, a deal breaker would, you can't mow the grass you can't be married to robin is that what it is <laughs> well you just gotta pull your weight you know we just weren't compatible honestly um so but i think you know that's it's a lesson learned you know when you're 25 do you even know who you are yet as a person or what you want like you should not be getting married most likely and, um and i shouldn't have gotten married and so anyway lesson learned it i think these are the experiences you build in so you figure out what you don't want so that when you um 
you're then you do what know what you do want. And so when I met Scott, I think I actually knew what I wanted. And I wanted a guy who could do things like mow the grass and just hold his own. And so um, as you know, he's pretty handy around the house and uh, just handy in general. And um, he's kind of like MacGyver, I would say. Uh, he's he's that guy that probably could build a bomb or something out of a paperclip. But we met through mutual friends. His roommate in college was like the older brother of one of my friends from college. So we were just in this like kind of larger circle of friends. And uh, this totally dates me, but we started like flirting on MySpace and I was living with George, right? Like even before, even before Facebook, that's like, now I sound like an old lady, but, um, and I had a sales job where I ended up coming to Florida all the time and he was in Florida. So I was like, Hey, if I ever come down that way, I'll give you a ring and we'll go out for a beer or something. And I did. And um, we went out for many beers and then I stayed at his house for like three days. And then the rest was history. Wow. Wait, <laughs> you so you just, you just moved there. right in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, we had the, like the world's longest date and then we started um, like dating long distance. And then I took a job in Miami to be closer to him. And that was like how I, I basically, I had been living, I had lived in Georgia and I decided to like maybe move to Tampa where I had family and then I, you know, I got a new job and then I just was like, all right, cool. I'll move to Miami. I got a job here. And, um, you know, so then I moved in with him and I was, I basically opened myself to this whole new world of living in South Florida, which was crazy and exciting and fun and just like a totally different world for me um and yeah and the rest is history and we're almost at our 10-year anniversary believe it or not so you know at that point we'd probably we married we had dated for like two or three i think three years before we got married so we've been together 13 years so um which has all been documented on the blog if you guys have been following it i've kind of documented like every major milestone a lot of the milestones since i've had it how long were you Dating the other guy that you had the starter marriage with before you got married, probably like three years. Mm. You know that's weird. I mean, look, I I don't have any idea what I'm talking about, but uh, is the only separator that Scott would mow the lawn and and was handy, and the other guy wasn't? Because there seems to be a lot of similarities here, and one worked out, and the other one was over within a year. No, no, they're just honestly totally different. Can't even compare. Just um, night, like just totally not even like can't even. I should have not married that guy. Like it was just like I said, we had been dating. We should have broken up, not gotten married. Yeah. Like we should have gone the other direction. Like we didn't really have. We were like friends that got married. Like we should not. You know what I mean? Like the chemistry was lacking. Like I remember when I married that guy, and we went to like kiss on the altar, and I was just kind of like weird and awkward and i remember someone like um yelled like oh come on like it wasn't a real uh, kiss or something <laughs> it was like, that was like a bad sign <laughs> you yeah, know like, no doubt. the, the pastor is um, pulling you aside going hey honey the uh, the back door is off to the to, to the left here take it if you want it right yeah yeah, yeah. so you know young immature it probably didn't have like should have just not gone there but like i said you know everything is a learning experience you learn you just everything's a learning experience so smarter from all the things that happen to you for sure so how, how long are you married before you 
start talking about kids or how soon after you're married do you start talking about kids in general? You know, we waited a long time. We really were enjoying that dink lifestyle, dual income, no kids, having fun. We were getting into, you know, Scott gets really into his hobbies. We we got into competitive, like, or we were really getting into sailboat racing oh, and just I remember all that. Yeah. Stuff. yeah, yeah. And um I had filmed all these cooking videos on the boat and the blah blah blah. And <laughs> you can find those on YouTube. I'm like out in my bikini in the back of like our sailboat, like making uh John Daly's and Darken Stories. Right. And just you know, the Miami life. We were having we were having fun. And so even I mean, we didn't I didn't have Hunter till I was thirty six. And so we'd been married probably four or five years when we had him. Yeah, because we're coming up on 10 years and he's five. So right. we'd been married at least four. Um, so we did not rush into that. And I would not encourage anyone to rush into having kids. No, you know, never. have fun. But do you decide you're at a right point to start trying or do you realize that, hey, there's just not going to be a right point as he's sneaking uh, his head in the back. Uh, <laughs> there isn't going to be a, a right point and this seems to be as good as any time is going to be. I think he was pushing me like, come on, like we can't wait forever, you know? And I was like, oh, all right, you know? And then it was like, um, everyone tells you that when you take yourself off birth control that it takes forever to get pregnant. And so um, we had just embarked on this like massive whole house renovation. Like, and literally I was, I had a tile chipper in my hands and I was digging up tile in our, in our house um and then for some reason i decided to take a pregnancy test because i i thought i had pulled pulled a muscle in like my groin or something from doing crossfit and i hadn't i was pregnant so i took a pregnancy test and i was like fuck this i'm not chipping tile anymore i get a pass (laughs) so and so then but we literally lived in like one room out of our house with no kitchen and uh for like like the entire time i was pregnant it was it was awful but it was what it was like you know it's at least the house was renovated after we had the kid it was done but quite stressful actually (laughs) so what's parenting like for you guys um are you finding it to be as enjoyable as you would hoped is it been more overwhelming than you thought a little bit of both I think it's been a little bit of both. I think, I think for, for me, um, for both of us, like I had always thought I wanted to, because I was an only child and I was like, I wouldn't want to do that to a kid. I think you need a brother or sister. Um, especially when they get older, it's not fair to put it all on one kid, you know, with dealing with their parents and stuff. And, um, but you know, when it came down to it, we were happy with Hunter. And, um, you know, his first couple of years, I mean, he's so damn stinking cute. At the same time, he was also like extremely challenging, you know, like, you know, you hear all these people that are like, oh, my kid started sleeping at like three weeks or whatever. And you just want to be like, screw you. I hate you, you know, because I was like, God, I, you know, I read Scott Knight's, you know, he's super anal and we were trying to be good students. We took all the damn classes and all that stuff. And, you know, we had a spreadsheet of how we thought it was going to be and we were going to start sleep training like right then and there and all this stuff, you know, and 
that's that stuff just doesn't work out. And and he had a lot of challenges when he was little. He had colic. He had to have a phrenectomy, just all these little things. So it was like um, he couldn't latch. My milk didn't agree with him. He he's just like it was just very stressful, I'd say, like for six months. Mm. And so when things started you know, and he wasn't one of those kids that slept either, you know, so on top of the colic and the everything else, um, like six months, we were we were getting somewhere with sleeping, which I think is better than some people, you know. Um, but when it came time to even think about having a second, I think we we're finally like, we just got out of this really stressful period. Like, do we want to go back there again? And, and also, can your marriage survive that kind of stress? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you sure. have to be realistic with yourself, you know, like, you having the girls, it's a lot of stress when they were younger, you know, like, um, anyway, so for us, it made sense to have one. And I mean, he's so damn cute, but everyone's like, he's so cute. Have you thought about getting him into modeling or whatever? And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to be a momager. I mean, I think he is really funny and cute. He's got a real smart Alec-ness about him, <laughs> so, uh, which I know he gets from me. But um, it's, you know, I'm not one of those moms. It's like, oh, all I've ever wanted to do is be a mom. And my goal is to stay home. I mean, you know me, Greg, I'm always working all the time. So, uh, you know, I'm just trying to balance and, and keep it real. And I'm, I'm not one of those moms that's like, my whole life's goal is to just, just be a mom. Like I have all this other shit going on and I love him and he's a part of it. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, that's just, that's how I am. So, but we, he's a blessing and I love him and I, I feel blessed to have a, a funny, cute kid and he keeps me on my toes. You know, like the other day I was f attempting to film some videos on the Green Mountain Grill doing the pizza and I'm like sitting there like rehearsing my lines and he's in the back and I messed up my, well, I didn't like the way I did the first line. So I did them again and he's in the backyard putting together while I'm doing this video, putting together a Hot Wheels like track. And he comes up to me while I'm filming. He goes, you just said that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I know I just said that I'm re rehearsing my lines. You know what I mean? Like he's just, anyway, he's a funny guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. Wait, so uh, you're, you have a job. Now we have a kid and at some point within before the kid. And, and now we, you, decided to get something online with uh with grill girl so did that whole thing like when did that begin to materialize with you did you think it was you know meathead's original concept of amazingribs.com was just as a portfolio to show potential customers that hey you should get onto the internet and oh by the way here's what a website looks like and i build these that's how amazing rib started how did Grill Girl start oh, wow. with you and, and was that the, the working title initially? Yeah. Yeah. So you sort of know a little bit of this history, Greg, um, but this will be fun to recount. So um, right when I moved, when I took that job in Miami and it was so funny because um, Scott and I always joke about this, having moved from Atlanta, I thought I knew traffic and I had, I didn't know shit about traffic until I moved to Miami and I realized that there's traffic and then there's traffic like with crazy people and old people mixed in and people from different countries and I'd never been uh flipped off before until I Hello, like, hold know, on, hold on. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I forgot my timer there. So anyway, um I was working at this company that did 
uh, it was a press release distribution service. And I was, you know, Miami was their Latin American arm of, of their office that they had opened. And so I opened this office for them and blah, blah, blah with them. And um, so that's when social media was like becoming a thing. And uh, with this company, I was selling press release distribution services to people. And it was all about like the social media press release. And we were talking about blog and blogging was coming up. And I had already been freelance writing on the side for a couple places. And so I was learning about blogging and I decided one night after a couple glasses of Pinot Grigio that I was going to start a blog. And so I had, I had some wine like I do every night. And then I was like, I just started a blog. And I was like, Scott, I just started a blog. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and, um, and you know, the first iteration of it was like, culinary life adventures dot blogger dot com, you know, and it was basically I was like, anytime I made a recipe that I could actually remember remotely what I put in that turned out well, um, you know, I was just like having fun and cooking for Scott because I was happy to have people to cook for because, you know, and it's, then when I was dating him, he had all, these, had all these like bachelor guy friends, which were like super appreciative when I would be cooking for them. Sure. And I was new to florida and you know or south florida especially which is just like this really interesting place because everything's like tropical and you've got all these people from different places so when you go to the grocery store it's like shopping in the multicultural aisle you know because you've got like jamaican condiments and guava and all this latin stuff and just you know and then i've got like fruit trees in my backyard and banana leaves and i just start i'm like really going through this very like creative time in my life just being exposed to all these different um foods and just stuff you know people and cultures and it was and so anyway i started the blog and then eventually it turned into Grill Girl um, because at the same time I went, you know, now that I'm in Florida, I'm like, holy shit, I can grill like year round, you know, and I had never really been grilling a lot. I'd always been like a grilling dabbler as someone in my late 20s, early 30s that, you know, just knew enough about it to be dangerous. And one night Scott was like out of town and I was like, I want to grill. I want to grill pizza. I think that's like the first thing I ever really grilled, like that was out of the box, other than like a chicken breast or something. And um, I almost lit my eyebrows on fire. And I was, it was like an old charbroil, you know, in the backyard that the the starter was burnt out, and then you get like the flame ball effect, and you know. So anyway, I was like, that was stupid. I'm gonna buy him a new grill for his birthday, and I got him a Weber Genesis that his mom chipped in with me on for him, and then. I like got in this really nice grill and then I was like, oh, wow, this is a nice grill. I want to get my money's worth. So I started grilling on it all the time. And I was like, oh, my God, why are more chicks not grilling? Grilling is so fun and it creates less dishes. And I got really into it. So then my blog that I've already started at this point morphs into Grill Girl. But then I want to buy the URL for Grill Girl. But some woman in Canada has bought the URL and it bought it like like a stock investment, you know, oh, yeah. and she didn't want to sell it. So then I, I created Grill Girl, if you remember, like the Riot Girl spelling. So it was like Grill Girl with like three R's. Um, and I did that and it just confused the shit out of everyone. So, um, But then I would like SEO myself 
to beat out all the other instances of, of grill girls online because I was learning a lot about search engine optimization and PR because I was working in that industry. And so then right around that time, I also started doing women's grilling classes to show other women how fun grilling was. So I was, I would call them clinics and I would, and I still do them sometimes. Um, and that also just got me a lot of press in like, just out there. Um, and so I was, that's kind of how my blogging career started, if you will, was um, quite simply a couple glasses of Pinot Grigio <laughs> one night <laughs> morphed into grillgirl.com. Um, so, back then, as you're starting to get traction or, or trying to get some kind of traction, is it hard to gain legitimacy because especially then it was still considered to be more of a man's game or a man's domain. Did people view it as some kind of, uh, Oh, that's cute. Uh, that's a kind of a trinket kind of a thing. Or, uh, did you think you gain credibility pretty quickly? No, I actually think I did gain credibility pretty quickly just because there weren't a lot of women doing it. And, um, and, you know, I never, I never tried to, I'm not like pitmaster grungy. I'm, that's just not me. I'm, I'm, I was, I think what gained me notoriety was all the crazy shit I was doing. Um, like, like I said, I was really, um, like, I think my move to Florida really was like the, the creative boost that I needed. Like, it was like, I, um, really came into my own, uh, like I'd always been really into cooking, but it was like the fusion of the environment and everything that was going on just really kind of took me over the edge into creativity. You know, like I was, I was, um, I was baking cobblers on the grill, like mango cobblers and just really like Floribian fusion. And, you know, I would go and take a banana leaf growing in my backyard and, and, you know, cooking fish and banana leaves like in, in 2009. <laughs> so I, I really was kind of like, now that I look back on it and I'm not trying to like ruffle whatever the expression is, but I was pushing the envelope on some stuff that had not been done. And, um, and I was having a lot of fun and just like, you know, me, Greg, like I'm not, I'm not necessarily like a methodical person or whatever. I just like to to try new things and put it out there, yep. you know? And so um, I think people liked the idea of it and that it was just very different. And then, and it gave me a lot of press just because when people were looking for a voice to represent females in grilling, there just weren't a ton. I mean, there was like Diva Q, there was Elizabeth Carmel um, and a few others, um, like in the barbecue route, like circuit. But when you were just kind of looking for your average female who was into grilling and trying new stuff, that was that was kind of me out there pushing the envelope. When do you realize you're getting traction or that this is something that's worthwhile and you're seeing organic growth? Maybe you're getting contacted for stupid sponsorships or, hey, come on and, and be on the Today Show or sponsorships with Kingsford, things like this. How does that all progress? Yeah. And, you know, I think of like blogging back then as kind of like how Instagram is now. Like that's, that's, that was our medium. And that's how we got to know each other. Greg, I think was at like a Kingsford event. Um, but blogging was kind of like the, the like how you, you did cooking and, and recipes and documented it back then. Now, yeah, you can pr pretty much have a blog on Instagram. If you think about it, but I would say the first time, I felt like there, this was going somewhere was 
when I got a gig with McCormick's to do videos for their uh, Grillmates campaign. And then after that, I got a um, like an outdoor spokesperson gig with Lando Lakes. And then we were doing grilling clinics out like in New York City for the media. And it was like a press tour. And I was doing like a satellite media tour in my backyard. And it was like, holy shit, you know, like, wow. Like it was just, um, it was really starting to, to like take off. And, um, you know, and, th and that's the thing is like, what I've learned is like that you can get your name out there, but you, that still doesn't mean you figured out how to monetize that, like a blogging career. And I think, I think I'm still figuring it out, you know, like, I think I'm finally getting to that point and I've been doing it for like 10 years, you know? So, um, but it's, it's all been a journey, you know, like I, um, it was, there've been some really cool experiences. Like I did something with Walmart and Kingsford where we were doing these tailgating videos and I actually got to meet Jason Aldean and I was like, holy shit. Cause like back then I hadn't really been exposed or had exposed myself to as much country music back by then. So I don't even think I realized like how big of a deal he was. And well, it was deal. so funny. And it was so funny because like I've developed these recipes for like, you know, Kingsford and, or really Clorox and their affiliate brands, you know, it was like Hidden Valley Ranch and Dr. Pepper. It was a very sponsored type video. It was like, how many logos can we shove into yeah, this video? Right. <laughs> you know, um, my manager Garrett actually was like, I'm not letting you do those videos again because they're just eh, it's not tasteful. But um, what was the point of my story? But it was so funny because it was like, I, you know, I developed all these recipes. It was like, oh yeah, I get to meet Jason Aldean. And I developed this like, I thought it was like very signature Southern, you know, and I did like a, um, a grilled pimento cheese burger, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, it's Southern. He's really Southern, blah, blah, blah. And then when I finally meet him in person, he basically tells me that he hates anything with mayonnaise products in it, which pimento cheese is like <laughs> mayo and cheese. I'm like, fuck, I wish I'd known that. I wish someone would have told me, you know, <laughs> like what the heck. But, um, you know, it's just been, it's been a fun ride. You know, you can never take yourself too seriously with all this stuff. I think that, like, you know, we're all, we're all, you know, you reinvent yourself every day. You know, what was, what was, what was big then and tomorrow, it might not even be Instagram anymore. Like, it's just, I think you can never get too settled into what's working. You, you like, especially if you're, you're building, like, you're building in a brand, like, it, you're always figuring stuff out or, you know, like, things are changing always, all the time. When I look back at this month specifically, I look at us and, and you and I seem to be uh, alike in a lot of ways and we're different than most of the other regulars. I mean, I'm regular because I'm the freaking host, but when we talk about the regulars, Malcolm Reed is doing barbecue full time. He wasn't doing he wasn't doing it full time, but he has since graduated to doing this full time. Sam the Cooking Guy, uh, his videos and, and what he does with YouTube full-time. Stephen Reichlin obviously has been doing it full-time forever and ever. Meathead full-time uh, doing his website. Long way to ask, was there ever a time where you wanted to do Grill Girl full-time or, or could you have decided to kick the corporate job, let's say, uh, off to the side and whatever you were making at Grill Girl, you were going to take that and say, okay, well, uh, this is what we're making with it right now. And the goal for the next year is to increase by X and the year after that to increase by X and, and make it a real gig like all the other people that I had mentioned. 
Yeah, that's a great question. So honestly, Greg, it's kind of like this cross I bear every day because that's really my goal is to just do this full time. But I think where the the challenge has been is that when Scott and I decided to move out here to uh, Fort Myers to build a house, I think initially we thought we were uh, reducing our cost of living and um, cutting down on the spend, um, you know, because we were moving out of, out of the Miami area, which is expensive. We did make money on our last house. We're like, we'll invest that into this house and try to maybe reduce our spending. Um, but now that we've started building a house, we're building a very nice house. I'll just say that. So it's been harder for me to be like, you know what? I can live off of X because I feel like um, now that we've started building an almost million dollar house, like even though that's not how much it'll cost us, you know what I mean? It's kind sure. of like, all right, is this the time for me to say, let's take a, a pay cut? Um, so for me, I've been really building like the past four years, what I've, or what I should say is like the past couple of years, what I've really been doing with my site is trying to have to figure out how to monetize it because I have a shitload of content on it, but you know, some of the content was old and the photos didn't do well and things like, um, you know, uh, making it Pinterest friendly and stuff like that. So where, where the site just on ads alone, I've finally gotten to a point where it actually does make a decent, like, you know, a good amount of money on, Add dollars. And when I couple that with what I make with recipe development and sponsorship gigs and things like that, I'm almost at that point where I can quit. Um, and if, if, if I could quit, if I could make less, and I probably could have done it like maybe a year ago, like I said, sans the house thing. Um, so I'm, I feel like I'm almost there, but that's the goal. Like this was, this is not a hobby for me. Like this is, I work 24 seven. So um, I, for my stress levels, I can't continue to work two jobs. Like I have to make it happen. I actually have some really cool stuff that I'm working on right now. Like, um, sorry, I think I have allergies. My nose is so itchy. Um, but like this weekend, I am working on filming a pilot with Garrett, um, my business partner. And I've got some licensing deals at play right now that um, with, you know, since I've trademarked Grill Girl and I have a pretty big announcement it's something I'm negotiating for a potential magazine next year. So there's so much cool shit going on that I'm like, this is going to happen. Like I'm getting there and I'm, I'm in, you know, what's, what it's nice is I've been able to save money working this as a side job to invest in grill girl and invest in the talent and reinvest on things like, like I'm basically doing like a major SEO overhaul right now. Um, so that, you know, by not paying myself from Grill Girl on my, uh, like my giving myself basically a salary from that and being able to stock that money away, I can really use this from like from a developmental standpoint so that I will be in a really good place very soon to be able to take it, like to be able to finally quit, hopefully. So, um, but that's the goal. Like, like I said, I feel like I'm slightly like I've lost my mind, honestly, doing so much all the time. So, <laughs> so is your number having to make, you know, whatever you're making at Grill Girl and then also eclipse what you're making at the other job in order for you to, to, to feel comfortable doing that? Is that what it is? Yeah, pretty much for me. Yeah. Like I need I need to make in order like I need to be I need to be at a certain range to be able to like kick kick it. And I think, you know, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. I'm almost there. 
<laughs> so. you know, I, I've often been asked, you know, do you do? In fact, I was on the phone uh, with um, with somebody else earlier in the evening who said, oh, you know, are you doing this full time? It's not somebody that I'm, you know, ultimately or uh, intimately familiar with because they would know that I'm also selling trucks during the day. And, and this is something that I'm doing outside of traditional work hours. But they say, you know, is this right. something that you're doing full time now? And I don't. I can't sit here and tell you for as much as you were animate about saying, I got to stop doing both. I'm going to stop doing both. And here are the hurdles to clear in order to do that. I don't have any interest in doing that. Uh, I don't want to make the show the main way for me to generate income because to me, that will change the entire dynamic of the show. That will change the entire dynamic of me internally. That will change the entire dynamic with me and my family. And I just don't think with this show, unless I ended up partnering and doing some of the best sales work I have ever done in my life, and I've put together multi-million dollar contracts on a regular basis, this would require perhaps even a more elite level than that to get somebody to sponsor what I would need in order to get out from what the show is making and for what I'm making at Trucks. And I'm telling you right now, you don't need a college degree. And I tell everybody that's looking for a job, do you want to sell trucks? And they all laugh in my face. I'm going to sit here and tell you, if you can sell halfway decently and under a decent economy, there's some money to be made in trucks, believe it or not. It's not like selling cars where you're waiting for people to come. It's exactly like a traditional outside sales job, if you like it. And if you're good at it, you can make money. If you're good at relationships and all that stuff. But I think it would be unrealistic for me to sit here and say, I think I can do that. And if I did it one yeah. year, there's no guarantee. I mean, certainly there's no guarantee that, you know, next year's trucks are, are going to be as good as last year's trucks or the year before that or whatever. But because I have both and because I have a routine down that accommodates both and neither compete with each other, I am more than happy to be one of the top class eight Peterbilt truck salesman in the country. And I'm also happy to be the best uh, outdoor live fire host at, at the same time uh, and, and changing yeah. what I would be. I would feel more comfortable leaving the show and never doing it again and keeping the truck side of things than I would be the other way around. So, uh, you know, that's why I, I'm interested to, to see because I think you know we are in a similar place at that point. I don't know what your site's making and, and all that stuff, but you know I, I would sit here and say if you know if 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 you knew what this show was generating, a lot of people would go like, "Oh fuck, you know I would quit that job. That seems like it would be enough." But I've also always been a believer in if why would I leave this money over here and take this money when I can have this money and this money and we can just combine it together. And it's 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 not compromising my quality of life in a, a negative fashion. Let's just take it all, continue to do what we're doing, and, and away we go. So I appreciate you, uh, you know, sharing that portion with me. Where do you see? Well, yeah, go ahead. I was just. I think there's something to be said. Like here we are in the middle of a pandemic, and people are getting laid off. Like so, would I? You know, sure. that would not be the time. Like, let me just quit my job. You know, and you're right. Like for me. It's also been about like 
by keeping it as my side gig, I can be very selective about what I take on. I don't want right. to be that person that's like, I'm so like dying to get paid and need the money that I have to take along every stupid deal to whore out someone's whatever it is, you know, to make money. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like for me, I want to take what I want. And if it's not a good fit, then I'll pass because it, I wanted, you know, so, so I totally hear you on that. And there is that whole element when you take something that you really love and try to turn it into a job, then that it turns it into a job, yes. you know? So oh. there's the whole side of it as well. Yeah, I think that would change it for me uh, easily. Uh, where would where do you seeing Grill Girl in the next five years, ideally? You know, my goal is to really turn it into a top publisher. Like my goal is to really like like my 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 person that I admire so much is Martha Stewart, how she's built up in like an omni channel presence. And that's really where I'd like to take Grill Girl, like above and beyond just the site. Um, I think the site has so much potential. Um, and trademarking it and just, I feel like women in the grilling market is such a, like a, a ripe audience. And I would love to help really just evangelize grilling to more females. And so that's really my goal is to, to help be a champion of grilling to more females and, and be inclusive versus exclusive. Like, you know, we can all, this is so fun. Um, we can be nice and have fun about it. It's not a competition kind of thing. Um, I just feel like there's there's so much fun to be had outdoors and there's so much to be explored. And I'd love to be a, a guide. I'd love to be people's conduit to experiencing what that can offer and what it can feel like to to, to have the, the experience of cooking outdoors. And just like Stephen said earlier, it really brings people together. And I think I think um, I want to I want to be a steward of, of that feeling. Yeah, and be the so live fire advocate, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so there will be more to come. I hope more, more in the publishing realm, maybe even more in the lifestyle stuff. So, definitely not throttling back. I'm throttling. Things will be. There will be more of everything. All right, full <laughs> but, throttling, not throttling back, but throttling forward. And you can exactly. make sure that you're checking it all out at grillgirl.com. And, of course, you can find Robin right here on the third Tuesday of every month. Uh, Robin, you have said it all, uh, and uh, we have gone from birth to right here, October 20th, 2020, if you can believe it is the 20th. Yeah. And, uh, man, uh, I appreciate you sharing. And as I've said with everybody here, you know, my regular guests, it has been, you know, an incredible journey for us. Uh, you know, we, we kind of come in at a, at a similar instance of being nobodies and really working to attain whatever success and name and reputation we have in the industry. And it's been great to share it yeah. with you. And we've shared a lot of great experiences. And again, you're one of the few where we've done stuff in person uh, as well as doing a bunch of stuff here online. And it's been uh, great to see your success and your build through the live fire industry. And uh, I can't wait to continue it. And uh, thanks again for taking all this time tonight and sharing your origin story with us. Oh, Greg, you know, you're like one of my besties. I love you. You're the best. So one of these days we will do another in-person event too. Yeah, no doubt. As soon as this pandemic clears, we should sign up and, and away we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yikes. 
Well, I had I had fun. Now we have to quiz you. What we have to we have to do the the interview, Greg. That's what we need to do. Well, that's what Meathead said too. But uh, you know, uh, you, I'll start taking uh, resumes for folks that want to uh, interview me. So put together a dossier of your most incredible questions, and then uh, I'll figure out who's going to get the task of uh, taking my life story, which will be highly uneventful. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm i'm first in line all right <laughs> well robin thanks again you you too greg have a good night all right there she is robin from grillgirl.com and giving us her origin story and my shot is frozen what happened this has been some kind of you know what outrageous all right well we'll uh task out of here directly because i do have audio it's just unbelievable. At least we made it to the end. Hey, all the way back in the first hour, it was Stephen Reichlin. And kicking it through the second hour, Robin Lindars from GrillGirl.com. Appreciate both of them uh, doing the origin stories as we continue through the third week of October. And next week, we get Derek Riches and the Embedded Correspondents, believe it or not. Looking forward to that. September 11th, 2001. I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now.